Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I have several women of color in the C-suite at all the companies that I've invested in, that I work in now, and that I'm on the boards up. And that's one of the things that I'm really, really proud of. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Donald Thompson. Many of us have been underestimated. Many of us have been told that we couldn't do what we believed deep down in ourselves that we could do. And Donald's life exemplifies that. He's gone on to start multiple businesses. We talk about just how he did that. His latest endeavor is seeking to create a more inclusive world for many of us and to tell the stories of the diverse mindsets and people we have around us. I think for those of you who have always thought that you could be more than whatever the path was determined for you, this would be a great episode for you. And for those of you who are raising kids who are at the crossroads of lives, who are trying to figure out what it is that they want, but, you know, feel confused or maybe even scared to approach you because of fear that you will be disappointed in them. This is also an episode that I hope you check out. Make sure you check out the links in the show notes so that you can find more ways to connect with him. All right. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's episode is with Donald Thompson. Now, Donald is the co-founder and CEO of the Diversity Movement, and a certified diversity executive teaches corporate executives and aspiring entrepreneurs the tools to accelerate their success. He's a champion for diversity, for equity, for inclusion initiatives, as well as raising awareness and the commitment to DEI causes. Now, as a three-time Inc. 5000 CEO. He is one of the best in the world, one of the best in the business. And he knows how to take an idea and turn that into commercial viability. So I'm very, very excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Love the energy and I'm glad to be here. Yeah, the pleasure's mine. And I apologize for the background noise. If you can hear it, this, 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 uh, there's a lot going on in New York. Hey, listen, no, we need to apologize for the Lakers jersey. I'm all about oh, Lakers. You know, it's, hey, it's not a Lakers jersey. Look, I'm, look you're going to hate this, but I, I'm a LeBron guy. So I have a lot of his jerseys. People always say that when they come on, they'll say it's the Lakers, but I guess it's the view. You can see the heat, though. You can see the heat there. Okay, got it, got it. Okay. okay. Yeah, right there. And then the other side, we got Cleveland. <laughs> What, what, what's your team? Uh, if, uh, I'm Golden State Warriors. Hey, there's nothing wrong with, with the Warriors. You guys are the defending champions, but uh, that was a tough loss last night to the to the Suns. It was a tough loss. People 
can't underestimate the productivity loss when your culture is challenged. And to talk sports just for a minute, but bring it back to business. And you know, for listeners out there, they had one teammate punch another teammate. It got a video, a lot of press. And you just can't underestimate the impact of culture on performance. There's no way for that to just be right with the organization. And it's something that they're really going to have to work through while they're playing one of the most competitive sports in the country. It's going to take a minute for us to reclaim our footing. And the other teams, just like in business, are going to punch us in the face until we get right. So we did it internally. Now we're getting it as a team because we're not right. And that's something that's super important. But anyway, I love all the sports references. I, you know, I obviously basketball is my favorite sport and I wanted to be one growing up. So this is what we're going to do here. I want to continue this metaphor. The punch to the face, which some might not know, Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole, a fellow teammate in practice. And then it's led to a team fracture in the world right now. There are a lot of punches <laughs> to our collective faces, right? That this concept of what does it take? to make sure everyone feels seen, heard, and understood for who they really are. And the punches look like racism, sexism, homophobia, colorism, featureism, whatever it is, sexism. I'm curious as to what got you ready for this fight. Why did you want to be someone that fought for this? A couple of things. So I'll go back to childhood a little bit. I moved around a lot as a youngster. I'm the son of a football coach. And so when you think about sports in college football, in particular sports in general, when you win, everybody's your friend, want to buy you drinks, pay for your dinner. When you lose, you get fired and you got a U-Haul truck and you got to move to a new town. So we moved around a little bit. And so I had to get used to being the new kid. And a lot of that, not just the teasing and the awkwardness, but a lot of that sometimes turned into bullying. Over time, I had to learn how to physically defend myself, but I also had to learn how to emotionally determine what to make a big deal and what to let go. And that's something I had to learn throughout childhood that became something effective in the workplace. The second thing that I'll tell you from my athletic background is when you get knocked down in the sport of football, you got to be quick to get up, right? You got to have that recovery. And so when I started to think about my business career and what could I learn from sports that I could bring to the business environment, two things. Number one, I had to be personally resilient. I couldn't let somebody else's actions determine all of my behavior. So I had to be more intentional. And then number two, and this is really core to your question, I wanted to become a protector. If I could become strong, if I could become successful, I wanted to make sure I created an environment where women leaders that worked for me in companies had an opportunity to succeed and grow, where I could create opportunities for BIPOC individuals to get that seat at the table when they didn't even know a seat was available because it was a board-selected opportunity or different things. And so my skills in marketing, sales, technology, entrepreneurship, I've been able to build a successful life, so to speak, financially or different things. So then what's my give back? What's my responsibility right, for those that may not have the perch or perspective that I do? And that's one of the reasons we created the diversity movement. I think this is going to be the last business that I build and grow, but it's a culmination of all the things I've done. And I want to be an active advocate, an ally, but more importantly, I want to be a champion for diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace. You touched on it there. You talked about the, the fact that this could be a last business. You've been a CEO in a space where multiple people don't look like you. 
And you say you want to be a protector and a champion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm just curious as to how do you go from being bullied to knowing how to defend yourself to advocating for people who are bullied to then finding yourself in a room where you might be one of the only few people? What was that like? You know, part of my journey when I was in the software technology space, I went for a period of close to 15 years without selling to a C-level executive that looked like me. And I'm talking to enterprise-level sales in some of the companies, some of the largest companies in the world. And it was tough. I don't want to come across that I've had all the answers, that I didn't have those moments of loneliness. But what I did have is a goal and a set of dreams and responsibilities that said, I need to push through so I can bring some others behind that can take what I've learned and grow faster. So what I had to do is this. I had to separate personal pain from professional progress. That means if I had a microaggression veered towards me, I had to make deliberate, intentional decisions. Is it time to pop off? Is it time to blow this up? Or do I need to handle this after the meeting with the individual and get the work done? And so I had to be much more intentional about the way I aligned my behaviors with circumstance because I knew this. If I met and exceeded my sales quota, I would have more authority. So I need to focus on that because if I'm a top performer, my voice is louder, even if I'm speaking softly. If I'm speaking loudly, but I'm not a top performer, people still don't hear you. It sounds like noise. And so I wanted to figure out how to make sure I was always a top performer. So then things that I saw, things that I wanted to change, things I wanted to advocate had more power because people were looking at me through the performance. You can grow your career to a point where they don't look at you as a black man first. They look at you as a $3 million quota carrying sales professional. And then after they look at you through that performance lens, you say, I've got a couple of ideas of how we can make our organization more appealing to people of color. They're all ears because you got to figure out what your message is to people and then also the right timing and who's that right messenger. And those are just some of the things I, I learned over, along the way. I'm chuckling and smiling here because I, I'm reflecting on what you're saying. And it, it appears to me that you've had this ability to think both short term and long term. Now, this is, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's something I'm learning right now. I mean, right now, I'm in a creative environment where I have to get something done <laughs> for a cleaning. And I'm like, you got to set us, get the interview up. And so you're working through the navigations, but you're like, no, the long term, the listener is going to understand this. So I'm curious as to why you think it's so important for short-term and long-term thinking simultaneously. Because if we look at people of color, people and uh, members of the BIPOC, when you're setting up and launching a business, the concept of short-term thinking and long-term thinking is not something that can often work in tandem because you're thinking about how you want to support your family. You're thinking about how you're going to deal with a microaggression. You're thinking about how someone else is going to think about you and then how you don't have the same appetite or the world doesn't have the same appetite for failure from you. And then you have the mental health issues that could come with that. So how do you manage that? What's the safe space for that? Let me give an example. So the diversity movement, my latest firm, we started in 2019. So we started in advance of George Floyd's murder, Breonna Taylor. That accelerated some of the conversation about diversity and inclusion in our country. But we're still an entrepreneurial business. We've productized DEI. So we have some technology solutions around it. Here's the point. We're raising money. So I know, even though I'm a successful entrepreneur, as a person of color, the numbers say I have some limitations in raising capital. So therefore, I had to make a strategic decision 
to build a revenue generating consulting business first so that we could pay for our initial prototypes for our software. And now we're raising money from that point of stability versus I could have taken the idea standalone for the products and went and tried to raise money. But I knew the limitations, so I didn't let them surprise me. I had to figure out a game plan around those limitations. And so to answer your question, I don't build businesses with the world as I hope it will be. I try to take a very pragmatic point of view of the odds that are already against me and how do I navigate against what I do know. If you think about pain, if you think about a punch, if you think about a car accident, Part of the reason for the trauma is the shock because something happened that you didn't anticipate and see coming. So you're not able to avoid it. But if somebody is throwing a punch and you see it, you can turn so they don't get a solid blow. If someone that you're working with, moving away from that more violent metaphor to a microaggression in the workplace with words or with language, if you know somebody is always saying things a little off topic, a little little fire starter, if you will. You can say, Joe, good to see you. Hey, listen, I want to keep to the topic on things today. Can I make an agreement with you? And Joe like, yeah, what do, you, what do you mean? From time to time, you'll say things that might rub me a little wrong. I might react in a certain way. Hey, Joe, let's just say, if you say something that just catches me squirrely, I just got a little small piece of paper right here. It's got nothing written on it. I'm just going to pass it to you. And then if you keep saying it, then we know we got a problem. If you see the little piece of paper, you're like, oh, wait, I didn't mean it. And all of a sudden, it made it fun with somebody in my corporate environment that I really didn't mesh with, but we both knew that wait, there was something there, but we had a job we had. Another example that I'll give is I was in a corporate America setting, and this one was a defining moment for me. Billion-dollar corporation, glass, conference room, big leather chairs, right? We're about to close this deal. And one of the folks in the meeting didn't like one of the deal points. And he said, you all are being Indian givers. Exactly. Look at your face. Like is it, This was said in a meeting. I promise you, no embellishments of the story. There was about 10 leaders in this room and I was the only person of color. I mean, if I do a 23andMe, I have some you know, indigenous people, but my predominant is, is African-American. But I said, I'll use the, the name Joe just for throw a name out there. I said, Joe, I'm not great with history. I wasn't the best student, but I'm not sure Indian giver is the right way to describe what's happened in our country. And the room was silent. Now think about silence for one minute, right? That's heavy. And so it was silent. And here's what Joe did. Joe got red in the face and said, Don, I understand your point. Can we get back to our meeting? And can you and I talk offline? Because I didn't mean it the way it linked. And I said, Joe, happy to do that. We finished it. And that broke the ice, the tension in the rest of the room because it got tense because I couldn't let that go. Sometimes I'm all about do it offline. Sometimes I'm all about be the bigger person, but I couldn't let that go. But also I was more of a junior person at that time. So I couldn't just blow up the meeting. So I was feeling stuck. And so we got back to the point of hand, Joe and I took a walk around this campus and he said, based on my background, where I'm from, where I'm raised, I've probably said a lot of things like that. And you're the first person to ever call me out on that. I apologize and I want to do better. And if you'll give me an opportunity to do better, I'm not going to talk like that anymore. And I want you to help me. And this person just, we had a good conversation. We're still friends to this day. That's amazing. That moment. But you know, someone is listening right now and they're saying, I work with people like that, but they don't respond the way he did. What do you do in that situation? They're junior. Do you feel like you heard something inappropriate? 
but you don't want to lose your job, but you just still don't want to lose yourself in the process. What do you do? So here's my recommendation. I don't have a silver bullet for every situation, but here's the thing. You need to protect your career and your self-esteem. You need to do both, right? Some people want to do one, right? And they feel like they've got to say something in that moment. You have to read the room. And sometimes you're not the right person to address it and you've got to bring someone else in. But here's the thing. Even if the person doesn't respond as favorably as Joe did in this story, you retain your self-image. And when you do have to bring it up with your manager or your leader or HR, you gave that individual an opportunity to take a step back. And so you're not necessarily trying to change Joe. You're making sure that your behaviors grow you as a professional and how you handled it, protect your self-esteem, your self-worth, and then also prepare you if you have to raise it as an issue further into the organization of how you reacted and how you behave. I like that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And you've brought up the diversity movement a lot, your company. What is it about and why did you launch it? I've had a varied business career. I've been in technical sales. I've been CEO of a digital marketing firm. I've been in project management and and started several businesses and all these different things. I saw a lot of DEI practitioners that came up through learning and development and through HR, which is fine. It's awesome. But I saw a lane for someone in the DEI space. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. From an entrepreneurial perspective, from a C-suite perspective that could speak the language of business in alignment with diversity, equity, inclusion. And so we created the business to link DEI projects, DEI journeys with the financial and business outcomes of the organization. And so we felt like our perspective, our head of sales is a former CMO. Our head of content used to work at a digital agency. Our product person is MBA from Stanford. Our CFO is also diversity certified. We wanted to bring business people at a functional P&L level to the conversation so that we can talk all across the organization from a DEI perspective, but we can get practical and granular with how DEI can be integrated into your brand strategy, how DEI can reduce your risk from a compliance standpoint, how DEI can increase your sales funnel. So we wanted to create a DEI organization that helps you win in the market while we're doing the right thing. Wow. And the reason why I love what you said is because, you know, being someone who has a diverse equity inclusion company, one of the biggest pet peeves of mine is the lack of focus on sustainability on it. You know, there's this thing you can do. You can bring a speaker to talk one time, but you don't approach the root of the problem. And then you don't create a system where other people can understand how to recognize it, 
even when you're not there. And so it then comes up in another phase. And then you ask yourself the same question. You go back to scratch one. And then there's this apathy that comes with that. Like, ah, we tried it. We did this. What's the point of all these things? And so it sounds like you all are really taking this, this approach where it walks through every single step. You have handbooks I see here. You have case studies I see here. And so it's not just something that people can write off because there's a whole library of resources that you provide. I think you got it. The thing that I would add on the product side from an innovation standpoint, we've created our Netflix for DEI. We have over 500 two to three minute micro video vignettes on an array of DEI related topics. Because one of the things that you and I both know as practitioners in this space is we want to answer the questions that people won't say out loud. So if someone can type into the database and say, well, all right, what is a microaggression? What is psychological safety? I just don't understand. What is LGBTQIA++? Like they don't want to ask these things out loud, but if they can type that into search engine and a two to three minute curated video shows up, now they can have ongoing learning and they can get more powerful over time, but they don't have to feel that consistent pressure of knowing the right thing to say at every moment. And that's something that we like to do for organizations. That's beautiful. So there's this, and then they can go to the website on diversitymovement.com. Yes, diversitymovement.com. And thank you for that. And we have a lot of free resources. The one thing I will say is that we are a for-profit business, but we're mission-driven. And so that means we want to be able to be a resource. And so we've got best practices, workbooks, a lot of free content. We've got over 35 free webinars on various topics. I saw. They can just go to the website and download. And because if we learn it and research it, we want it to get out. It's not always a financial thing. We want it to be a teaching thing. Another thing that you just, uh, you've been working on is your book. Why did you write your book? A couple of reasons, right? One in particular is I wanted to create a legacy piece for my kids. I wanted to say thank you for so many people that have helped me along the way, been a part of my journey and create that point of inspiration for people that look like me, that have been underestimated, that might not have the perfect educational background and say, wait a minute, that guy, Don, can do those things. Hey, listen, I can roll with my thing and really be a point of encouragement. And so it's one of the things that's been working on for the last five years or so. And and we finally got it done. So thank you so much for for saying that. I love it because, you know, the process of writing the book can be, it's for some it's easy, for some it's a taxing process. And since you're encapsulating your life, I'm always curious about the process of what stories made the cut and what else you decided to, uh, I guess, exclude and what led to that decision-making. Yeah. So Underestimated is the title of the book, a, a CEO's unlikely journey to success. And a lot of things in that book, one in particular is when I was selling Jolly Ranchers in elementary school. And I had a little business doing that. And I was making $40, $50 a week, which is a lot of money when you're in fifth grade or whatever. And that started to teach me about entrepreneurship and why I wanted to create a business and dollars and different things. But there's a lot of stories about the bullying times when I had to learn how to deal with people that didn't like me because of my glasses, my skin color, my this, my that. It goes through the times where there were valleys in my career, where I wasn't winning, where I wasn't doing well. And what did I do to kind of figure out how to reinvent right my situation so that I could keep dream chasing? That's from a security guard to a manager at Dollar General to a clerk at a convenience store. When you want to talk about like a story, right? Like mine is not high school, great college, 
great first job, executive leadership program, voila. <laughs> it was really some twists and turns. And a lot of them were emotional in terms of when you're not getting what you think you deserve for the work you're putting in. And how do you combat that and keep it moving? And those are some of the things that you'll learn from in the book. Underestimate is the title of the book. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. One of the the things that I, I always like to bring up here is the mission of this podcast is to use your difference to make a difference. And we're certainly doing that with this episode in terms with what's going on in the background today. But <laughs> but um, I think one of the most powerful things that we can learn today about the world is how the world would be much better if we're fully ourselves. And I truly mean that. And the reason I'm saying that is we live in a world that is constantly trying to strip elements of who you are. Constantly, like school, your parents sometimes, your family, your friends. And as you evolve to your greatest self, you start to recognize that maybe the environment you're in isn't one you should be. But then you have that decision to make. Will I take myself from that environment, advocate for myself in the process, deal with the risk of loss, while understanding that my better self is the best way I can help the world. And not many people can make that decision, right? Once they get to that intersection, it sounds like your book, Underestimated, articulates different ways you did that in your life in order for you to go to the next step. One of the things that we all struggle with is current situation versus future situation. And if you over amplify current situation, you'll never chase the future. And so it's super important that even in my down times, no matter what was going on, I was like, what do I want? And here's the thing. When you really know what your goals are, when you really know what you want, it helps you make decisions of what to say no to. And most people that are in that kind of mental ping pong, they haven't really settled on what it is they want. And again, I don't want to come across to your audience users that it was easy, but it's doable. And when you think about, I'll give a quick example personally. In my leadership style over the years, I was an ex-athlete, all this stuff. So I was a little too harsh. My first couple CEO, I was a little too direct. I'm just being honest. I'm just being direct. Like I had some work to do, but I was still succeeding. So I would excuse my way out of change. So the business coach I was working with, super successful. His name is John Murphy, international business coach. He said, Don, you have been successful in some areas. What could you be if you were a better leader and had stronger interpersonal skills? That scared me. I was scared of leaving what I could be on the table. And that got me to move the future. And so when you're thinking about your circumstance, should I leave my job and be an entrepreneur? I was talking to an individual, ex-military, working in a big company, great job. And he said, Don, it's just soulless. He said, I never thought someone would pay me so much money to do so little thinking. And he said, these were a direct quote. And I said, well, what are you going to do about it? He said, well, I'm thinking about having my own business. I said, well, thinking about something, how long have you been thinking about something? And so he said, well, you've owned a couple of businesses. Do you have any advice? I said, start your side hustle. Just start your side hustle. Get one consulting client in what you want to do. Just start your side hustle so that over time you start to figure out if being an entrepreneur is what you want or are you just unsatisfied in your current job? Don't go into entrepreneurship because you think that's the right thing to do and you just need a different job, start a side hustle, start a small little business and give yourself a taste of running the business. And then if you can't let it go, then you'll know you're an entrepreneur. That's right. It's that thing I'm paraphrasing here. Discomfort is, is a necessary ingredient to change. You know, even when you were, you and I were athletes, right? You, you had to run the extra set 
to build that endurance up or you you have to read the routes, understand something. And maybe you didn't understand it at first, but then why is this quarterback constantly beating me? Or why can't I get this person? Or he takes an extra step on this side. And so you just have to figure out what you needed to do to get your knee stronger or your agility stronger. And if it took extra days or extra hours, you had to put it there. And I think that's that, that metaphor applies to multiple things. You, you just have to constantly challenge yourself to the point where you know it's in your best interest but also understand how to embrace the journey along the way, which is it's tough. I'm very fortunate that I had people in my life that cared enough about me to give me their true perspective. Uh, because we have friends, right, that every idea we have, oh, man, you can do that. Oh, oh great idea. Yeah, you're the best. <laughs> right. Okay, like, that's your hanging out crew. Like, <laughs> don't mistake your hanging out, your football crew with your mentors. The people that need to help you assess your readiness or your game plan for the right thing. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, what if I don't have a mentor? What if I don't have this? Okay. There's lots of books. There's lots of podcasts. There's lots of ways you can do your homework. Even if you are alone, you can listen to this podcast, your other episodes and start to reframe your mind. There's so much information out there. If you want to change your mindset. You just have to be really willing to get intentional, right, about changing how you think about something. You know, I'm from Nigeria and I grew up in areas where sometimes I wasn't, I didn't have immediate access to my mentors. And I, I started adopting this thing because I became a writer when I was younger, where I would find mentorship in books and authors, right? And I always say, this is my mentor. I like this person. This is my mentor because I picked from that. And I, I had, a, you know, my mom and dad used to make fun of me because I used to write notes and put it under my bed. And I didn't know what I was doing, honestly. This is me as a 13 year old. And I, you know, like you, I, I was, you know, socially bullied. And so I never really had friends. And so I'll just read, Oh, Nelson Mandela said, you know, he had a long walk to freedom. And one day I, I want to meet him, but he says you have to learn how to forgive. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is Alan Iverson saying that, you know, you know, even when he was in jail, he had to find something deeper. I was like, okay, but there's a power to that because you can create a community from that. You can feel mentored from afar. And if you think about all of the stuff that's out there on social, on podcasts and YouTube, if you think about the questions you have, you can get those answered from credible people. The only difference is they don't know you personally, but directionally, you can get moving in a lot of good direction on most topics. And you can listen to enough podcasts, listen, read enough books to find that person that can relate to you through the text. They can relate to you through the podcast because you're like, I'm feeling that. I want to listen to another episode from that person. I want to read their next book or article. I want to connect with them on LinkedIn. And then here's the thing I would tell folks. Most people that are leaders in the space love people that reach out to them. You may not get a point of feedback every time, but how do you know if you don't try? As you're listening to folks in different things, just tell them thank you for what you're learning. Ask them a question. Don't worry about the ones that you don't get feedback, but you're going to get some nuggets of blessings from people you never thought would answer your question because most people want to give. So we're staying on this mentorship side here. I'm an adjunct professor. And one of the things I tell my students is not everybody here needs to be in college. And it's something that we're like, whoa, professor. <laughs> and I, I'm a guy that got an MBA, but I really, I really believe this though. I don't think the traditional education route is for everyone. And I think it's okay. People can admit that. That's just my opinion. What do you think about that? I signed a football scholarship to East Carolina University, Division I athlete. I was very proud of that. I quickly figured out that 
there were folks that are bigger, stronger, faster than me, and I was going to be a special teams All-American. That was not my game plan. Long story short, I did not finish college. After my junior year, I started working. I started entrepreneurial things. And then I finally found my way into sales. I don't think college is for everyone. I think people need to understand what their goals are. And then what's the education you need to meet those goals? I think education is critical for everyone. And I think college is one way to gain that education. But it is not the only way. You may need two-year worth of education from a community college because you want to start a plumbing business. You may have a certain set of skills. And really, as an entrepreneur, you just need some basic accounting so you can understand some business 101 things, but you have some good ideas and other skills. There's lots of ways to learn the skills you need once you have the goals documented that you want. But no, I don't believe a traditional four-year college degree is for everyone. And there's a lot of young people and a lot of parents and a lot of debt for a lot of college that people don't want. 100%. Donald Thompson, Kings and Quids. Oh, well, I mean, I could talk to you forever, but I want to make sure that people at least get access to you in some shape or form. And so where can people find you? So donaldthompson.com is where you can find out about executive coaching, speaking, book, all that good stuff. And LinkedIn is also a great platform for what we're doing. And you can buy Underestimated anywhere you buy books. Yes, you can buy Underestimated where you learn about the son of Black teen parents from a small town in Louisiana and how he watched his family work tirelessly in 1970s America. This has been a real pleasure. I have one final question, which is my, you know, I ask all my guests this. As I said earlier, my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So how do you, Donald, use your difference to make a difference? I have several women of color in the C-suite at all the companies that I've invested in, that I work in now, and that I'm on the boards of. And that's one of the things that I'm really, really proud of. Intentionally creating a a uh, space that, that looks very different than maybe what uh, leadership was you know, communicated to, to many people in the world. I love that. Uh, oh, thank you. This has been fun. <laughs> this great, man. I really appreciate it. All right. My pleasure. My pleasure and duty. Uh, Kings, Queens of Royalty. Till next time, use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.